I think that, you know, as social service agencies, we definitely have to continue to check that, right? Yeah. What level of trauma are we willing to deal with, right? Because when we think about people of color, they're coming with a lot of trauma, right? We've got some generational trauma, historical trauma. We have victims of trafficking yeah. um, and all these levels of oppression. So we have to know if we're even able and competent to yeah. really deal with those things. Yeah. Um, and then I think on the flip side of that, also being willing to learn how to, right? Because then I don't want to say close the door because you're not you're not able to. But if right. if you want to serve trafficking victims, um, you have to be ready to deal with all of the things that they bring. Hey, welcome to the Elijah Rising podcast, where we discuss the myths, misconceptions, and most asked questions about sex trafficking. I'm Adam, and today I am joined by Shawnee Basie, the Director of Strategic Programs at The Landing, which is a Houston-based nonprofit empowering survivors of human trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation, primarily through their drop-in center on Bissonette Street located here in Houston, Shawnee Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Adam. I'm so excited that you're here. We appreciate you uh, having this conversation with us. This is um, the second conversation that we've had focused on uh, the intersection between sex trafficking and racial justice. Um, and the reason for that is because we at Elijah Rising are committed to raising awareness about sex trafficking and serving those who are exploited by the sex industry, much like you, Shawnee, in the landing but we here at Elijah Rising, we recognize that racism is a, a major cause uh, of sex trafficking and a demand driver of sex trafficking. And as a justice-oriented or, justice organization who serves women of color, we recognize the need to be better informed about the intersection between sex trafficking and racism. And so again, on the podcast, we're going to ask the question, is sex trafficking, is prostitution a racial justice issue? Shawnee, you have a ton of experience in the anti-trafficking movement. You're a leader in awareness, in prevention, in advocacy. Uh, you have worked for multiple anti-trafficking agencies um, here in Houston. You have you have all the experience, <laughs> um, and uh, in all those years of experience, in all those different roles, and in all those different ways. First question I want to pose to you is: Do you think that? People have attempted to fight sex trafficking while ignoring racism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, let me first say thank you for having me here. <clears throat> and thanks for having this conversation because I think this has been long overdue. Um, and you guys have just really been at the forefront of this conversation. And so thank your you. leadership in this has really been um, inspiring to me, you know, as a woman of color working in this space. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I think I've re been really fortunate to kind of have a wide range of experiences working in this space. And so, um, <clears throat> working in residential programs and working in the criminal justice system. And then like currently where we are now at the landing, yeah. um, doing drop-in center, you know, a drop-in center and outreach and, yeah. um, recently youth advocacy work. And so, you know, I think I have a, you know, maybe um, a perspective that, you know, has been able to travel from, you know, different agencies. And, and so, um, Absolutely. you know, I definitely yeah. have opinions, you know, <laughs> um, but um, it's been, it's been a challenge. And I think your question is really important. Um, have we um, tried to, you know, do this work without addressing racism? And 
Um, research shows that people of color are disproportionately impacted, um, yeah. you know, by the traffic, by human trafficking, by the sex industry. Um, and there's a lot of statistics out there. You know, there's there's tons, and I could put them all in here. You know, there, but one that just really like stood out to me was mm. um, that while black women represent about 10% of the you know the population in this nation, they're um, about 40% of the victims of trafficking wow. um, that have been identified. And so, <clears throat> I think. Um, for us to do this work and not really acknowledge those statistics um, is detrimental. Um, You know, another study talked about um, by the FBI, 59% of um, child sex trafficking victims were children of color and and African-American children. And so Mm -hmm. um, I think the disparity is undeniable. Um, You know, and I think even in some of our agencies, right, that disparity is even higher, right? Like the work that we do, um, I'm not seeing 40%. I'm seeing, you know, 70, 80, 90% are people of color, you know, and I, I, I acknowledge that where we're located in Houston may right. impact some of that, but, sure. um, you know, broadly, that's an important conversation to have. Yeah. That's so critical, you know, because I, I think two things are really important about what you said. Number one, that there are, um, there are studies, there are statistics done by agencies. I mean, the FBI, right. Yeah. Uh, and other agencies that are, that are showing this, that are proving this out statistically. But at mm-hmm. the same time, you're somebody who works at one of the epicenters of trafficking in this city, right. And Houston has long held this title of, you know, number one city in the nation for trafficking, you know, and that's, that can be debated right. at different times, but even it's just anecdotally, you see this played out and, and we do too at Elijah rising, you know, but mm-hmm. I think there, there is some pushback that's like, well, if you can't prove it statistically or if you don't see it, but what you, what I hear you saying, Shawnee is you're seeing it at, at both that statistically it's being proven mm-hmm. and you're seeing it in your daily work on the street. Yeah, absolutely. So on the street and then our drop-in center, um, you know, it reinforces the, the research that we're finding. Right. So, um, yeah, I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the question then too is like in the attempt, how dangerous is it to ignore racism while also, I mean, is it even possible to end it if we're, if we're not uh, addressing the root causes and one right. of them being racism? Yeah. I think that, you know, when I think about the anti-trafficking movement, um, you know, and I think the the murder of George Floyd has really kind of thrust this conversation sure. um, and kind of made us look at this. Um, and I think some of the conversations I've seen on social media, media or mm-hmm. with friends is around the notion of I don't see color, right? Yeah. Like I don't see color, um, and perhaps the the sentiment behind that is great. Maybe, you know, you're saying that you don't discriminate based on color, um, but our victims are, you know, are the victims that we serve and these women need us to see color, right? Because we mm-hmm. need to be able to understand their experiences. Um, you know, and I know we'll talk later, but, um, you know, this I don't see color is a broad context. Yeah. Um, you know, we it applies to people of color, you know, who are not who have not been trafficked. And so even more so for victims of trafficking who are, you know, thoroughly marginalized, Mm. um, they really need us to um, open our eyes to that, open our eyes to their experiences. um, You know, and then to your point, will we do good work? You know, if we won't, if we don't do this, I I Mm. don't think so. We can't do good work if we're not willing to address the things that um, really make them vulnerable in in the first place. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned this on the last episode and I think it's just such a powerful quote that we use often, like 
sex trafficking is the exploitation of vulnerability. Right. And that vulnerability can be many things. Mm-hmm. It can be age, it can be gender. Um, yeah. But what we're seeing is that it can also be race. It can mm-hmm. also be skin tone. Yeah. So having worked with personally knowing mm-hmm. um, women who have been exploited, who are who have been prostituted or maybe who are currently being trafficked on, on um, Bissonnette and other places in the city, I, I wonder how do women on the track, on Bissonnette, how are they experiencing mm-hmm. racism, systemic <clears throat> racism mm-hmm. in their daily um, in their daily life. Yeah. Um, so I think I want to approach this from two different ways, yeah. right? Um, there's a term called intersectionality, um, that was coined by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. You know, she was, um, a law professor at UCLA yeah. and then also from an ecological model, which are, you know, models that we, um, in social services kind of, mm. um, look at, we look at a person in their environment, right. In the context of their environment, we can't pull someone out of their environment and think that, sure. um, their experiences don't matter. And so those are the two ways that I kind of want to look at that. Um, and intersectionality, um, you know, it just describes, um, a lot of different social identities, right? So mm. we all have social identities, um, color, race, gender, ethnicity, sexuality, gender yeah. identity, yeah. um, socioeconomic status, all of these things, um, make up who we are and how we experience the world. Right. <clears throat> um, they also come with varying levels of oppression, right. um, and disparity. And so I think about myself, right. I, I I'm, I'm black and I'm also a woman, right? So we know that women have had their, um, and still do, you know, have their challenges. Um, and then people who are black or people of color also have challenges. So, um, intersectionality kind of explains the multiple levels of oppression, um, that a person experiences. Um, and I think it's really important for us to look at that, right? Um, so I'm a black woman, right? So my experience are are different than that of a black man. Right, sure. And they're also different than that of a white woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm speaking from someone who um, has not experienced exploitation, right? Mm, and right. those things matter to me, right? So right. they definitely matter um, to the people that we serve. Yeah. Um, and then I think it's also important because um, I think what the anti-trafficking movement has done is we've focused on the trafficking only, right? Mm. Um, And we have to look at this person as a whole person, right, who has experienced all of these different um, varying levels of oppression. Right. Um, And so when we're thinking about the clients that we serve in the southwest side of Houston or just broadly, um, they experience um, oppression from a lot of different ways, right? Right. a lot of different, we know that sure. youth, um, who identify as LGBTQ, um, are also more vulnerable, right? So understanding these vulnerabilities is important yeah. and addressing them, um, and acknowledging them, yeah. um, and, and is really important. Each one of those kind of comes with its own trauma too, right? Due to yeah, the oppression and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever sort of social stigmas that intersectionality might create. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'd wonder, just going back to the quote, you know, earlier, like the exploitation of vulnerability, kind of what I hear you saying is like, well, this is just vulnerability upon vulnerability upon vulnerability, which Absolutely. leads to a situation where somebody, um, is exploited. Yeah. And I think that even in the programs that we're in now, oftentimes we're having to address and unpack a lot of other stuff yeah. before even getting to the trafficking. Right. And yeah. so, you know, choosing not to, you know, acknowledge those, we, we, we really can't, you know, 
assist people. Um, We can't serve them well. And then the other, you know, thing that we want to look at as an ecological model that we cannot take a person out of their environment um, without acknowledging all the things that they've experienced, right? Right. you know, we all encounter systems in a different way, right? We've got lots of systems that our clients are interacting with, um, educational system, the medical system, the school system, we've got CPS, um, you know, and we know that people of color, you know, I mean, there's been, you know, talk in the last couple of years about, um, you know, maternal death rates of, you know, black women, right? Right. They experience the medical, you know, system in a very different way. Yeah. Right. We think about the educational system and the school to prison pipeline and abuse to prison pipeline. And and it's telling us that children of color are not they're involved in the same system and not experience experiencing that system in the same way. Right. Um, So that's what systemic, you know, oppression is, is for, you know, for us to kind of consider how do people interact in their environment and they're in the context of their environment and how does their environment environment interact with them? Right. How are they impacted by that? And I think um, one that stands out and and we could talk about it, um, for multiple podcasts, it's the yeah. criminal justice system. Yeah, I was right? going to say let's let's and, make sure to how, mention that one. Right? You know, yeah. women of color in general, people of color, women of color, and then trafficking victims and right. those in the commercial sex industry are experiencing the criminal justice system. Yeah, um, we know that women of color are more likely to be arrested for prostitution than mm. others. Right, um, they're less likely to be identified as victims of trafficking or be mm. considered victims of trafficking. Yeah. Um, you know, youth of color are being detained um, more, arrested more, tried as adults more, um, and just given yeah. harsher sentences. And so, I think those are things that you know that we have to really consider. I think about like. You know, Centoya Brown and Letitia Clay and, you know, more recently, like the Free Mia hashtag. Right. Right, These are all child sex trafficking victims of color who experience the criminal justice system um, and the brutality of that system, you know, in their lives. They were put behind bars as children. Absolutely. Um, You know, and it's important that that's, you know, what our clients, that's who we're trying to serve. This is what they're experiencing. So we cannot... um, you know, treat them, you know, um, as a one size fits all, right? Like this program outlines, this is how we're going to go through this program without being willing to, um, address these things. Yeah. And I guess that kind of goes back to the colorblind conversation too. It's not that like, um, it's not that anybody's trying to not see skin tone. It's just that you have to understand, would you say, would you say that you have to understand the cultural, um, experience that comes with that skin color or that, you know, background or the neighborhood that they come from. It's not that we don't want to see the color. It's that we have to see uh, all of those factors that are coming into the doors of the landing when they're seeking services. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. I think that's a, that's a perfect way to, you know, um, synthesize that and that we have to see people for their experiences. Right. And Mm. we cannot, you know, pull apart, you know, what we want to work with and not being willing to work with, you know, all these other experiences. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. How about demand? Mm -hmm. You, 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 um, drive down Bissonette every day. Yes. Are you? Um, yeah, just about every day. Yeah. Um, you, you, you see demand in, in real life. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you, you see it in the, um, you hear it in the stories of the women that you serve, mm-hmm. uh, the people that you serve. 
do you see any racial bias on the part of buyers toward toward black women on the street? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so you're right. You know, buyers are predominantly white men. This is not just anecdotal. This is, you know, research, right? right. You know, says that um, men who have, you know, social power, yeah. political power, financial power, right? Um and they also do this with impunity. So I think there is mm. some, you know, that we can talk about systemic racism there or oppression right. there, right? That, um, you know, a study in 2015 talks about, um, you know, we, we, we all know that prostitution in Texas currently is illegal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it takes two, sometimes three people to, you know, or more. Um, but we know that sellers of sex um, and often women of color are often um, arrested at much higher rates than, um, you know, the buyers of sex. And so um, there is some oppression there, right? There's some systemic issues that we're seeing um, when it comes to buyers um, and sellers of sex. Um, The other thing is we think about the porn, you know, pornography, right? Um, Women of color are overrepresented in pornography as well. Mm. and that's important for us to look at in, yeah. in pornography. There, um, there's a lot of you know racial overtones, undertones, overtones, sure. and even you know some extreme violence um, in that towards women of color. And so, um, though they're being fetishized often, they're also being brutalized. Mm. Um, and so, I think that is a really good question. Yeah. Um, that could take a you know a lot of time as well, sure. but just unpacking like the the power disparity there. Yeah. Um, you know, when we think about who buyers generally are, are, um, and who, you know, victims or women working in the sex industry generally are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're going to take a break in the podcast for just a minute and come back and we will discuss more with Shawnee. Hey everybody, I hope you are enjoying today's episode of the Elijah Rising podcast. Right now I'm standing in the Elijah Rising store that sells goods that empower survivors of sex trafficking. All the items in the shop, the purchases support the employment as well as the restoration of women that are in our program. So please come visit us at 11th and Studewood or online at shop.elijahrising.org. And today on your first purchase, we're going to offer you $10 off if you shop online using code podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I am joined by Shawnee Basie, Director of Strategic Programs at The Landing. Shawnee, do women in the life experience racism when it comes to social services? And I think more specifically what I'm wondering is in finding the restorative care, whether it be short-term or long-term, mm-hmm. uh, to exit the life. Yeah. That's a tough question. Um, so I'm going to start off by saying there are a lot of great programs out there, um, a lot of which are, you know, local um, as well. Um, but then thinking on your question, I do think, um, you know, victims of color, survivors of color experience um, bias, mm-hmm. you know, when they're entering programs or aftercare programs, receiving services. Yeah. Um, I think it you know, manifests itself in um, a, co- a couple of ways. So mm. one, finding culturally competent services. Yeah, that's good. Um, and then um, when we're looking at program outcomes and success. Mm. Um, and this reminded me of a, a story. Um, 
maybe several years ago, um, I was meeting with an agency that is not local to Houston or Texas. I'll put that out there. Um, And they were explaining to me that they were going to start operations in California to do um, street street outreach work. Um, But then shortly after starting, um, they shut down their operations because the women on the street had attitudes. Um, and so, you know, I was just kind of stunned by that. Um, one, we're, we're wanting to work with this population. Yeah. Right. Um, but then there was a bias about what the type of victim that they want to serve, um, is. And so that was, you know, it was convicting to me, right. To Mm. make me want to continue to check biases. We all have them. Right. Um, but then to know that, you know, our clients and victims are experiencing service providers um, that may not understand, you know, cultural sure. competence, right? Um, or even have a focus on wanting to be culturally competent, right? Yeah. Because we know that women who are working the streets, which is the, you know, the program that they were um seeking to develop are often the most vulnerable, right? right? They're often people of color. Um we know that those are the low hanging fruit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so to, to not acknowledge the trauma, right? right. The trauma discharge, not acknowledge, um, why we might perceive their behavior as having an attitude, yeah. um, you know, is challenging. And so, um, you know, I think that, you know, as social service agencies, we definitely have to continue to check that. Right. Yeah. Um, what is the ideal client? Yeah. Right. Um, what level of trauma are we willing to deal with, Mm -hmm. right? Because when we think about people of color, they're coming with a lot of trauma, right? We've got some generational trauma, historical trauma. We have victims of trafficking um, and all these levels of oppression. So we have to know if we're even able and competent to really deal with those things. Um, And then I think on the flip side of that, also being willing to learn how to, right? Because then I don't want to say close the door because you're not you're not able to. But if if you want to serve trafficking victims, um, you have to be ready to deal with all of the things that they bring. And so um, that was one example. But um, I I can see it happening that um, you know in other agencies um, that we refer to, um, sometimes we have to be very careful, right? Like who am I going to refer this client to because I know they will not be successful here. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. You know we have agencies um, that really kind of need to think about practices, right? We have to make sure we're meeting the needs of survivors of color, right? Because mm. um, you know black the black community we have our own norms we have a culture we have different hair care needs we have a lot of different things that need to be addressed in these programs and and when our survivor comes to a program whether it's residential or just you know um you know any other kind of service they have to feel heard and that their needs are being met right? right and so i think that's another way that um you know, survivors of color, victims of color are potentially experiencing bias um, in some of these agencies. I also think about, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, Mm -hmm. right? And I know that's a controversial, you know, topic, but what we're saying is that these issues matter. And it's the same thing with our, the, the, the clients that we're serving, these issues matter, the right. things that they are experiencing, the things that they need are different. Yeah. And then they also matter. And yeah. so they're very real factors to their real. ability to heal. Absolutely. Yeah. And they have to be understood mm-hmm. so that I think you said it a second ago, like the whole person, mm-hmm. we see the whole person we're working with the whole person. We're providing an atmosphere in which the whole person can be restored. 
Right. And so it ha- we have to understand all of those things that come in with that person. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. You, you mentioned the hair care product thing. It's like, yeah, sometimes, you know, we love our donors and we get all sorts of in-kind donations and it really keeps the organization running. But, you know, occasionally we do have to say, hey, we need... We need hair care products, but we need a very specific type of yeah. hair care products, right? Because right. it matters, right? It, it, ma- it, it makes does a big matter, difference. and and we too, we have wonderful donors and wonderful supporters. Yeah. Oftentimes, just don't know, right? right. Um, and so, I think that's the beauty of this, you know, conversation too, is to kind of you know shed light on these issues. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we appreciate you shedding light on some of these issues. Um, not only as somebody who comes with so much experience in the field and in this work, but also as a black woman yourself, you know? Um, and so that kind of helps me transition a little bit to the next question, um, as a leader. And, and we really do. I mean, I, I see you as a leader in this movement, especially here in Houston, um, and having worked with numerous organizations, um, and done and approach the issue of sex trafficking from a few different facets. Um, from your experience, um, do you think that there is a sufficient amount of respect for, and let me add a listening to mm-hmm. black voices in the anti-trafficking movement? That's another tough question. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think that I've seen agencies taking steps Towards this, um, I think um, the challenge could be that this could be superficial, right? Like, I've got to get, we've done it in the trafficking movement, anti trafficking movement, where we got to get survivors on our board, right? Right. Just to say we got a survivor on our board. Um, So I think um, we, we could, you know, be, we could do things the wrong way and try to get, you know, black women or black people to the table without tokenism. Yeah. Tokenism. That's a perfect way to say that without really, you know, honoring their voice. Right. Um, but I do think there has been movement towards that. Um, do we have a ways to go? I think yes. Right. Mm. Um, and I think some of the, you know, the conversation now is, are they on your staff? Yes. But are they, um, in executive leadership? Are they, um, in a position to make some key decisions, um, on behalf of clients that need to, you know, that need their voice and they need their advocacy. And so, um, you know, I think that we have a ways to go. Um, and then I also want to be clear that, you know, there's, there's room in this work for everyone, right? There Mm. is room for everyone. There is enough work to do. Um, and, um, you know, and we would be remiss to not honor the work that people who are not black um, yeah. have done in this space. Um, so I want to be clear about that. But um, there is also a, a, a real need to have black voices elevated and truly honored, you mm-hmm. know, in this space. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I think also, too, like we can think about an advocacy perspective, right? Um, we need black voices in, you know, speaking into legislation and, and um, things like that, because how many times have we seen um, lobbying and activism um, go wrong for the black community, right? Sure. There's laws that are passed and we can think about right. um, the war on drugs, right? Even trafficking, you know, bills or things right. like that have just... Um, impacted communities of color in a very real way, in a very negative way. And so it's important that these black voices are also elevated um, at an advocacy level as well. Yeah, so it's not enough to just put um, a black person in a position. Right. But what you're saying is their voices have to count. (laughs) Yeah, their voices have to count. Equally, (laughs) their perspective has to be... Yeah on the same plane of, mm-hmm. um, viability, importance, hearing as, 
well, just every other voice in the right. room. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, because it seems like there's a real danger in, in that tokenism where you just bring somebody in and then you say, okay, now you have a seat at the table, but you know what? Mm-hmm. We're still probably just going to build things the way that we see that we need to build them. Yeah. And then we might build them in a way that's harmful to the black community. Right. Um, w- without taking into consideration all of that intersectionality and all of those different factors that, um, that lead to vulnerabilities, perhaps, you know, that lead to trafficking. Yeah. So how about awareness? How about prevention? How about advocacy programs as we were talking about? Do you, I wonder, do you think that, um, that we're providing, you know, enough awareness that we're doing enough advocacy, that we're doing enough prevention specifically when it comes to black communities, black neighborhoods, predominantly black areas yeah. of town, are programs sufficiently offered for them to understand the problem? Mm-hmm. So I think that when we look at prevention and awareness, we have to look at underlying issues, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, um, as a movement, we've done a lot of presentations. We do that, don't we? We do a lot of we? curriculums to children. Sure. We um, go into schools, sometimes in the black community, not always, right? There's a There are some gaps there, right? Um, there has to be a level of cultural competency. The presentation that we are providing needs to meet the needs of that community. Know your audience. Yeah, know your audience. Yeah. Um, But then also when we think about prevention, what truly prevents trafficking, Hmm. right? Does my presentation truly prevent trafficking? It might raise um, some awareness. They may be able to do a pre and post test and kind of explain some things. But the factors that create create vulnerability, have they been addressed, right? Because when they're not addressed, then we do prevention programs. It doesn't change the fact that this kid is still vulnerable, right? It means that they can now answer questions (laughs) um, about trafficking. Um, And so I think... um, when we talk about the black community and prevention, we have to really think about what prevents trafficking, yeah. right? What are their needs? Um, what causes a child to be exploited, right? right? That's what prevention really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So we need an increase. There's more work to be done. Yeah, That's there's a I lot hear. of work to be done. <laughs> there's more work to be done. Well, I want to thank you for your voice. I want to thank you for your time. Um, I want to thank you for your willingness to... Um, to sit down with me at this table. Um, I want to thank you for your uh, willingness, willingness to teach us from your own experience. Um, you know, as an expert in this field and as somebody who has given your life to it, um, but also as a woman of color who lives, um, you know, in this reality that we find ourselves in every single day. And mm-hmm. so I, you are someone that I look up to as who has just given their whole being to this fight um, for so long. And, um, I, yeah, I just want to say thank you again because <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's not easy work, is it? I mean, it's not easy work, but it's, it's, it's work that's worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, just, it, it has taken us too long to have these conversations. Um, and so I just wonder, is there anything else that we haven't covered that you, that you think is important, uh, for those who are listening to hear? Yeah. Um, so again, thank you for having me here. Um, I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to to be in this fight alongside yeah. aside of you and, and your agency and, and Elijah Rising. Um, and I've found this very refreshing um, mm. to be able to be open and honest about things um, yeah, awesome. that are uncomfortable to a lot of people to discuss. Um, I think that we could leave here or not us, but you know, listeners could leave and they could either be offended or they could be open. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, if I were to leave anything, that's, that's my hope is that we would 
be open to learning about the experiences of others. Um, yeah. And in this space, when we care about trafficking, we care about exploitation of people, we have to be open to hear their experiences. Um, Absolutely. You know, I think that, um, you know, I'm guessing that the death of George Floyd is, is what has kind of, you yeah. know, um, encouraged you to kind of have these conversations. Um, and I think it's also awakened the nation to just the experiences of people of color. Um, and I just, I pray that the anti-trafficking community is also awakened, you know, that yeah. we kind of follow suit behind that, um, and are willing to address, you know, ourselves, right. And, and self-reflect, you know, on how we engage with people of color. Right. Um, and how do we participate in this? Mm-hmm. Um, we should take a deep dive into our policies and our procedures. And, yeah. and I don't say this um, without knowing that that means work, right? Because I've written programs, you know, <laughs> and I know that that means work when you have to go and unravel yeah. um, and dismantle a program that, you know, you've, you know, found to be successful for some, but maybe not right. um, for others. And so um, that's kind of where I leave. And I, I would like to read um, some words. I'm going to read directly from the screen um, yeah. from Rachel Lloyd. And she is a, you know, a survivor of human trafficking. We know that she's been a pioneer in this work. She's not a person of color, but this is about openness. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and so I'm going to read exactly what she's written. She wrote it some years ago. I think I don't want to say that it was somebody else's hashtag. So it wasn't George Floyd. It may have been Mike Brown or somebody else. Um, But she says, you can't um, say you care about human trafficking victims of color without taking a moment to understand how race impacts their lives. Mm. Um, You can't talk about prevention of commercial sexual exploitation without addressing poverty and how race and class are inextricably linked in this country. Um, You can't talk about um, options for survivors in aftercare without acknowledging that those options look different for different survivors. Um, You can't sit quietly by on the sidelines because all this talk about race makes you uncomfortable. Um, You can't pick and choose your social justice issues like you're at a buffet bar. Mm. Um, All of this is linked. All of it is interconnected. And all of this is indeed related to commercial sexual exploitation and trafficking in all forms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just powerful then and it's powerful now um, that addressing sexual exploitation requires that we address the systems that oppress people and make them vulnerable. And so, yeah. um, you know, we just can't let this die down. We have yeah. to, you know, survivors and victims are dependent on us not allowing this um, to stop, yeah. you know. And so and that's really um, I think the last piece, but I really want to leave with her words because they were just so powerful to me. Yeah, that is powerful. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I often say like, you know, sex trafficking really is the intersection of all the social justice issues. It's it's poverty. It's immigration. It's mm-hmm. it's racial justice. It's homelessness. Yeah. It's it's addiction. It's, all of it matters. All of these things, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, whether they were the vulnerabilities or they were entered into after, you know, as a coping mechanism and mm-hmm. all these things. So, yeah, that was very powerful, uh, a, a very powerful quote. Um, I wonder... Do you have any other resources that you'd recommend for our audience and, and for me, for us to, to read? Yeah. And so thinking about how um, things are not always about trafficking, right? There's all these sure. other systems that clients or individuals are experiencing. So um, one that I listed was 13th, the documentary 13th. Yeah. Um, 
it talks about system, systemic racism in the criminal justice system. So it's not predominantly about trafficking, but it does yeah. really shed light on how a person of color can experience the criminal justice system. Um, similarly, uh, When They See Us mm. um, is another that kind of explains how racial disparities um, play out in the lives of yeah. youth of color in the criminal justice system. Um, Girlhood Interrupted is a study about the adultification of black girls. Um, the Racial Roots of Human Trafficking is a publication out of UCLA that I've used um, frequently. Um, we were and just reading it earlier today. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful, <laughs> and I've, you know, it's been out for years, but it's yeah. been very helpful. Um, and then the urgency of intersectionality, it's a TED Talk, mm. um, uh, Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. So those yeah. are some things. Um, there's tons of resources out there, but those are some that have really um, allowed me to see and understand um, mm. this, this system, systematic racism and, and all of these things in a deeper way. Yeah. Well, I appreciate those recommendations. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you're listening, we'll put those in the show notes, you know, exactly where to find those. Uh, Shawnee, how can we support you? How can we support you, your work? Tell Mm -hmm. us what we can do. Tell the audience what they can do to help you. Yeah. So we mentioned earlier that I work, um, at the landing. And so we encourage people to get involved, um, in three ways, one by praying, um, one by serving and one by giving. So, um, really prayer is, you know, at the root of this, right? Yeah. We need to pray. Um, and then we have serve, you know, right now service opportunities are limited due yes. to COVID, but you know, <laughs> yeah. in general, we have a lot of opportunities for volunteers and, uh, individuals to get engaged in the work. Um, and then in, and giving is always another opportunity. So you can check out our website, learn yeah. more about the work that we do, um, and how you can get involved. It's, um, www.thelanding.org. Awesome. Shawnee, thank you again for, um, being you and bringing your voice to this conversation um, and, and serving others uh, and really serving us and, um, and our listeners today uh, with, your, yeah. with, your, uh, with your voice. Um, and so for more information about Elijah Rising, uh, you can go to our website, ElijahRising.org. Uh, you can also shop our social enterprise goods at shop.ElijahRising.org. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast, you can also find a video version of it on YouTube. I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you are listening or watching, uh, so that you can be uh, updated the second that a new episode releases. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, all the different places. Uh, we appreciate your support. Um, and we want to, uh, you know, just ask for your feedback. Let us know what you think. Uh, join the conversation. Send us your questions for future podcasts. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Elijah Rising podcast.